We shouldn't confuse ageism with ableism. There are people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s that confront ableism all the time. Hi, I'm Marianne Alda, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light into the darkness and or find the light in the darkness to brighten things up and remind ourselves that this is still a world gone good. Have you shared this show with your friends? Have you subscribed where you are listening in to us right now? Have you rated us? Even better, have you reviewed us? This is your good reminder that by sharing and subscribing and rating and or reviewing you help us spread the good and help more people find us so why not pause this right now and do one or two or all of those things then come right back and listen to this episode as your reward oh no oh no he broke the podcast rule and said stop listening no he did not he simply asked you to help us throw some good around and keep listening you can do two things at once he believes in you and so do i And as always, we say thank you for helping us make this place a world gone good. Well, we have gotten back to good basics in the last few episodes, haven't we? Two episodes back, we explored the good of making change in our lives. Our last episode, we embraced the good of connecting and reconnecting with wonder. And today, we are tackling our next good basic age gone good. I find there are two kinds of people. People who proclaim their age with pride, they own it, and people who cringe like you just ask them how much they weigh. I've always been in the first option of choices there. I celebrate right where I am. And I remember back to when I turned 30, I had finally gotten this really good steady job and I decided to take a whole group of friends to dinner at Cafe La Boheme, this like super fancy restaurant in West Hollywood. I said, I'm buying and we had the best night, not just because of the free eats, but because it felt so good to celebrate with my friends in the moment. A few weeks later, one of those friends who had been at my birthday dinner through a 30th birthday party for himself at his place. I arrived ready to celebrate, full of energy, you know, you're 30. And from the moment I stepped through the door, I could feel the vibe was not exactly celebratory. There were like 50 people there and everyone was kind of quiet and sipping their drinks. It was like more of a wake than a birthday party. And I'm Jewish, so that says a lot. I found the birthday boy on his couch He looked like he just lost his dog, surrounded by concerned-looking friends, all trading looks. I went over, I was like, hey, happy birthday. And he was like, what's so happy about it? I'm 30. What have I done with my life? And yeah, the rest of the night sort of went downhill from there. How was it possible I turned 30 and was all, fuck yeah, and he turned 30 and he was just, fuck. That's what we're going to talk about right now. Marianne Alda is an actor, stand-up comedian, and a fierce advocate for aging shamelessly. This is Aging Gone Good.
Well, Marianne, you are joining me because we are getting back to basics on World Gone Good. And by that, we're just sort of simplifying the good. In the last couple shows, we've really narrowed it down. We did a show on change. We did a show on wonder. And today we're doing a show on something you're a little bit passionate about, and that is aging. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm absolutely passionate about it. We all should be because we're all aging all the time. I mean, from the time that we're, you know, we pop out of the womb, probably even before that, we're just, we're aging, we're growing, we're we're uh, processing, we're doing, we're being. And that it, what really pisses me off is that, you know, it's like we grow up and that's good. Everybody wants to grow up, but nobody wants to grow old. Right. And, and the fact is that if you're growing up, you're always growing old because you're growing older. But it seems to me that there's sort of this inflection point that all of a sudden you're going like, oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And (laughs) that's just ridiculous because as long as you're alive and as long as you're able to participate in this thing called aging, it's all good. But do we bring it on ourselves? Do we bring it on ourselves because we have regret of something we didn't do? Or is it exterior forces telling us to be younger, to be this, to be that, to don't don't age? Well, I think it's certainly it's exterior forces because um, age is certainly not celebrated in the media. And uh, ageism is the last sort of acceptable prejudice you know it's it's like you older people are always the butt of the joke i mean for some reason that's acceptable you know because we do it so so easily so off the cuff it's it's so part of our our culture that it's okay to make fun of older people and i uh, that sucks and i'm a baby boomer so i will say that my generation the never trust anybody over 30 generation probably bought it on ourselves. It's now starting <laughs> to bite us in the butt a little bit. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let's, but, let's start there for a second. Let's hold it there for a second. Okay. Where did that come from? I'm fascinated by that. Where Where did this fear that and, – and, and I don't want to like make an umbrella blanket statement and neither do you, right? But where did this possible fear that something's being taken away from me start, do you think, or happen? Um, okay. It's not, a, it's not an easy question. No, no, no. I, and I'm confused. I want to make sure I answer it correctly. So repeat the question. Yeah. So what do you mean by what was being, t- what is being something being taken away from me? Well, so many of the people who fall in the boomer area, Okay, watch it now. Watch it, Steve. (laughs) I'm a Gen X. I'm a Gen X. Okay, Okay. we're good. We're good. I'm almost there. Don't worry. Many people of a certain age feel – I don't think it's just many. I think we grow into it in a certain way. We feel that things are being taken away from it. Is it that our youth is being taken away and we're suddenly struggling to hold on to things and we don't want other people to have things? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think that's, at least for me, I can only speak for myself and some of my friends because we all kind of feel the same. Well, no, please talk smack Um, about them. I want names. Go ahead. uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, we, we, um, uh, it's the fact that 
we're sidetracked. I can speak from personal experience. I'm an actress. I had a fabulous career for 30 years. Um, okay, shameless plug. Uh, I played uh, Dee Dee Bannister on the ABC soap Edge of Night. I started on that show in 1981. I was in my early 30s. And uh, from there, I started doing sitcoms. And I'm not going to go through my whole list of credits. You can Google me, okay? Go to IMDb. But when I hit like 50, in my early 50s, I just, I fell off the grid as far as Hollywood was concerned. And I'm 74 now. So I fell off the grid 20 some years ago. Um, and, you know, it because of the internet, everybody can do the math. They figure out, you know, they put your age out there. So they, they know how old I am. They know how long I've been in the business and they just stopped hiring me. Did I become a crappier actress? Um, did I suddenly become untalented and lose my ability and my skill set? No. As a matter of fact, I, I over the course of 30 years, I became, I finally thought, oh, now I'm really good at this. I got it. I got some some juice and some juice. I'm ready to play all those, to tackle all those those major, amazing roles. And And they were never offered to me. But you also did something very impressive because you're a woman of color. Yes, yes. And you have a that's I don't want to say a strike against you, but that's another hurdle to get over because most of many of the friends I have who are actors are white blonde women who struggled after about You need to learn. You need to meet more. You need to get out no, more. No, 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 Steve. no. no. <laughs> that came out really wrong. I have very diverse friends. But my point okay. being, my point being many of my actress friends who hit 35, who were white and blonde, they were done. Like that was it. Like that was the cutoff. It was that weird black hole that a lot of people hit. Um, And I think that trans, I I think that, you know, comes back to the weird black hole that we hit in life. But as a woman of color, that's another hurdle for you to get over. Um, yeah. And as a, as a woman period, because it's more difficult for women than it is for men. So there's, so there's the ageism, racism, and sexism, the big, the, you know, the big trifecta there that affected me. And, um, I, I do stand up and I talk about getting, I talk about a lot of stuff, you know, I, I, as a a matter of fact, I've been doing stand up for about 12 years now. And, of late, I've become more Chappelle-ish because I just talk about all the shit I want to talk about in terms of what's happening in the world. And I just comment on all of it. So sometimes, is it funny? People go, ha, 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 oh, <laughs> sometimes that is the response, which is actually this response I'm looking for. I want people to not just laugh. I want them to think. AARP got wind of me and they sent out a um, a camera crew to tape my, my thoughts on getting older. And it started out with an email that I sent them that began with, I've been a woman and black all my life, but not even that prepared me for the discrimination I would face once I got to be old. But I really, I'm starting to rethink that because I think being a woman of color has actually prepared me because I've been doing battle all my life. I, so I have built up that muscle, you know, um, I'm used to having doors 
slammed in my face or at least not open for me. So I've, I've gotten into the habit of banging on them. I think I'm a little, probably a little bit more resilient as an older woman because I've always had to be. So, uh, and, and my, my daddy who is, um, who grew up in the Jim Crow South told me when I was a little girl, little colored girl, cause that's what we think. That's what we were called back in the fifties. Um, and he said to me, because you're a little colored girl, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard as those other folks, but don't let anybody else's no stop your yes. So that has been my, um, my mantra. You know, nobody else's, I mean, you know, so I am, if I must say so myself, I'm a bit of a badass, Steve. (laughs) That's my, that's my nature. That's my, that's who I am. You have to be, you have to be in life. And I think that's where so many people on so many levels get pushed down. Let's go back for a second here because I want to talk about something else for one second. So I am of the age to remember you fondly. I can sing the Edge of Night song. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we got to get it the same key. There you go, Steve. And I remember you and I remember when Oprah was coming on. I was like, who is this? Oh, this is a talk show. She's never going to last. You Don't ever let me do programming. <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about The Edge of Night was it was a um, – it was kind of a mystery show and sometimes it purposely didn't make sense and we allowed for it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, if you're talking about the ISIS uh, uh, segment when somebody was – uh, Louis Van Dyne was trying to overtake the town of Monticello by uh, infiltrate, infiltrating the uh, cable television system and sending subliminal messages to all of the citizens of Monticello. Wait, wasn't that wait, they, I think that yeah. was Willie Ames. Wasn't it Willie Ames? Will, Willie Willie Ames was, was on, on there. there he was on there. That yeah, day. and he mm-hmm. was yeah he was going after Lo- this, this. He was going after Lori Laughlin. Your your very last line that you said on the edge of night was, do you remember? No. Your last line was, don't ask, exclamation point. <laughs> now, the question is, do you remember what the question was? <laughs> Here's the thing about soaps. I, I worked – I went up working at General Hospital. I went up working at Days of Our Lives. I know how quickly you have to move as an actor – if this was a first gig, not a, I mean, a first major gig for you, brain-wise, you got to learn a lot of lines very quickly. Um, you don't have many, many takes. You're moving at a, you know, a very quick pace. What was that like? And now at the age you are na- at now, what would that be like for you? Um, that Cena, that was, a, that was a very ageist remark you just well, made. I'm asking Because you, you made an assumption that right? it would be any different. And I'm going to tell you, no, it doesn't Good. make any difference. Uh, because for one thing, I have a solo show. I'm a writer. And that I do 75 minutes. And I remember things. You know, when <clears throat> I do stand-up, I did a 20-minute set last week. Uh, I write it. I, I remember it. I, again, it's a muscle. Yeah. The more you work it. It, it will continue to um, to work for you. You know, it gets flabby if you don't use it, but I, I use it all the time. I think that's one of the reasons why I do stand up to just keep um, to keep the juices flowing because eventually, eventually, 
Um, I think because, like you said, you're a Gen Xer. I think age-wise, we're about to reach a tipping point where there's going to be so many people over the age of 60 that we can't be ignored anymore. Right. I think that's starting to happen a little bit right now. Um, but in terms of Edge of Night, my my audition scene was 11 pages of dialogue. Oh, my God. Okay. I've, lis- I've listened to some of your podcasts, so I know that you're kind of you're kind of woo woo. So it's, you know, I will say that God prepared me for that because I used to do a lot of television commercials. That's basically how I made my living. I do do TV commercials and I do way off Broadway <laughs> at night. And, um, but the year before I got edge of night, for some reason, I think I only booked one commercial that year, but I booked 12 industrial films industrial films are the worst. Sometimes it's just jargon because it's very corporate and you're just talking blah, 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 blah. And it's just straight up memorization. And the money is not that great. Uh, Certainly not as good as commercials, but I thought, okay, Lord, why, why all these, why am I doing all this, these, these industrial films? Well, by the time I got the 11 pages of dialogue for edge of night, that muscle had been worked. So it was really, really easy for me. Right. Yeah, it's a muscle. Memory's a muscle. And you don't, there are things, there are all these these myths about things that happen to you when you get older. And it's not necessarily true. And we shouldn't confuse ageism with ableism. Both of them are bad. But um, there are people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s that confront ableism all the time. And, you know, and ageism and ableism don't necessarily go together. Ableism or becoming disabled, something can happen to you at any age. Um, but it's mostly associated with, uh, with older people. And, you know, there, I have a friends who are in their seventies who are marathon runners. And, and it's someone I went to high school with, she suffered a stroke in her 50s and she came back from that and became a marathon runner in her 50s and is now continuing to run into her mid 70s. So do you think some people allow themselves to get old and I use that old in quotes as a protective device or giving up or just set in their ways? What is it that where's your spark is my question. Okay. Um, when the casting director stopped calling me, I still had to make a living. I was divorced at the time and I had a child who was in college. I, I had to make a living. And I've, I think actors have a natural curiosity about human nature. And I have been in therapy myself I was just fascinated by hypnosis and hypnotherapy. So I spent a year in training to become a hypnotherapist. You can learn to to hypnotize somebody in a weekend probably, but it takes longer to learn how to use it therapeutically. When I was working with clients, most of my clients were women at midlife and a lot of them were suffering from depression. Now my practice was in Encino, California. It's a very upscale neighborhood. So these women had money. They, they were highly educated. You would think that they would be 
happier with their lives, and they weren't. And I quickly realized that we as a culture have been hypnotized into believing that women lose value in social and sexual currency as we get older. So um, we have been mind-fucked, Steve. That's the bottom line. We have been mind-fucked into believing that, you know, and, and because what happens is that, and this is why I've become very much an activist. Another plug, I was recently named the resident age anarchist for Women of Color Unite. It is a 5,000 member advocacy group for women of color who work in the entertainment industry, both in front of and behind the camera. Cheryl Bedford, who was the president of the organization, heard me in a clubhouse room, you know, getting on my soapbox about ageism. And she said, oh, honey, we, you, we need you. <laughs> we, we need you. We need you out there. And we will put the force of our, our organization behind you because what I am saying is something that needs to be heard. And we just need to keep saying it over and over and over again until people change their minds, you know, change. So we get a change of hearts and minds when it comes to aging and ageism. And the fact is that Becca Levy has a book out now uh, about ageism. And when I was doing research for a TED talk, Another plug, my TED Talk is ageism, is ageism is a Bully, Stand Up to It. And in doing my research, she did a study at Yale University, and people who have a negative impression of getting older live on average seven and a half years less than people who have a positive uh, image of what it's like to get older and a positive attitude. So, you know, we do ourselves a disservice when we buy into the BS about what it is to get older. And we really have to change the culture, the images that we see on, on screen and film and television, especially whoever controls the narrative controls the psyche. So we need to change the stories. And that's why I'm working so hard. Also, I have a vested interest in it because I'm an actor. I would like to be working on television. I, I love TV. I especially love comedy. But, um, you know, I just love working in television. I, for the last several years, I've been doing stand-up in my solo show, Getting Old as a Bitch, but I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground. This is my solo show. And, but I did not become an actor to be a solo artist. I, I love the com- – you know, you've worked in television. I love the camaraderie. Right with people and the community, not just with the other actors, but you know, the actors that you get into the sandbox with to tell a story, but the crew, I'm a crew chick. You know, I, I know everybody, I know the names of everybody in the set. I know the names of their kids. You know, I bake cookies. I bring them to the set. Uh, I just, you know, my son will tell you I was the Kool-Aid mom when he was growing up. So that's just my nature. And I, I love being in that sandbox. So on that note, which you just hit upon, presence, mindfulness. Yes. How does that play into who you are right now? Fuck old, fuck young. Right now. I operate on gratitude. You know, I operate on gratitude and being in the present moment. I can only do the work in front of me. 
So I always have something to do. I love what it is that I do. I, you know, I write, I, I, I'm a guest on podcasts talking about who you are, right? (laughs) And I think you, I think gratitude, I think that's the, that's the key gratitude and generosity of spirit. So I'm grateful for everything that I receive and I share it with other people. I mean, that's what makes the world go round. I love that. We close these shows with three questions, but before we get to them, I have to ask you a question, which goes back to your career. You were in The Wiz. With Diana Ross. Yes. You were part of Annie M's party at the beginning of the movie. Yes. 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 Did you did your character have a name? Did you were you a, a neighbor? Did you no, no, did no. you have to invent who you were? Like I, I always talk to actors about this, like when they get certain parts of like, did you have to create your own backstory? Like what was the deal? Well, no, as as uh because Sidney Lamette, I auditioned for him. Actually, it wasn't an audition so much as it was an interview. And the way it was explained to me, I was Aunt and Uncle Henry and, and Auntie M's. Uh, daughter. Oh, so which made me uh, Dorothy's cousin. cousin. Yeah. So, um, and okay, here's another funny story. So when I, <laughs> and this has to do with ageism too, probably. Um, back in the day in New York City, you they would have open calls. Casting how uh, places would have open calls. I lived in the Bronx. If I had an audition in Manhattan. And I had a couple of auditions and there was time in between. I'd go to the equity building and just hang out in the green room or else I'd go and um, I, I'd go to open calls. Uh, uh, Todd Champion was having an open call. They were the ones who cast the movie. I So I'm going to Todd Champion at the time. You know, I carried my head, my little portfolio with me. I walked, I get off the elevator. The door is open. There are actors lined up sitting outside Joy Todd sees me. It was like in a movie. She points her finger and she says, the young mom. <laughs> and I mean, literally, I just got off the elevator and she yells that. And Fern Champion, her partner says, nah, too old. Oh, my God. I was in my late 20s. You know, my son was three. But I saw his name, I think it was 27. So I do not need, I said I was a badass, right? I don't, don't tell me no. I, they had with those Dutch doors where the top was open and the bottom was closed. I walked through that damn door and I followed that woman into her office and I said, no, Fern, look, look, I say I have my portfolio with me today. I have a tidy bowl audition today. I'm supposed to be older, blah, blah, blah. And so finally she goes, okay, okay, Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and then she turns to her sister. She says, you give her an appointment 3.30 tomorrow. I said, oh, okay. Now I'm going back out. You know, and then Joy, who had said, young mom, goes, psst, psst, psst. She, calls me, she wiggles her finger at me. She calls me into her office. And she said, listen, can you get a baby? I said, what? She said, can you steal a baby a for your audition? <laughs> can you get a baby? I said, I said um, my son is two and a half right now. So he's not an infant, but I'll see what I can oh do. God. So, you know, he was two and a half, so I still had receiving blankets and all that stuff. So I got a bunch of little blankets, swaddling clothes, and I got one of my I got one of my son's stuffed animals, which happened to be a bunny rabbit. 
And so I wrapped it up. I go to the audition. They took us in groups of uh, four, uh, the Uncle Henry and Auntie M character and um, my character and my husband. So they took us in. And Sydney Lamette is talking to all of us. And, you know, it was just a nice conversation. We're in there for about 15 minutes. We're just talking and I'm just listening to him and I'm, you know, rocking the little bundle <laughs> that I was holding. And, and then Sydney says, boy, that's a really good baby. He slept through the whole thing. At which point I whip out the bunny rabbit and I said, you mean this? And he starts laughing. He said, oh, my God, I thought you had a real baby in there. And I said, why, Mr. Lamette, it's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the job. So, yeah, yeah, you, you got to have you got to have, you know, if you if you want to survive in this world, you need two things. You got to have heart and you've got to have balls. <laughs> you know, you've got to have heart. To not be, um, you know, to to not to allow yourself not to be to be beaten down when things don't go your way. You got to have heart, and you've got to have heart so that you don't become bitter. So that you, so that you keep your your humanity and in your the way you relate to other people in the world. You've got to have heart and you got to have balls because sometimes you just got to push your way and let people know I'm here and I'm not going. And I am telling you, I'm not going. Yeah, right. You got to do that. I'll tell you really quickly. And I always say this, maybe I'll edit this out. The greatest thing that I ever heard, I work for Mark Teschner at General Hospital. He's been the casting director there, I think 30 years now. He's a great guy. And I know Mark. He's yes. a sweet guy. He once told me, I said, what's the greatest submission you ever had got have ever have gotten? And he said the greatest submission he ever got is he got a box and he opened it up and it was a woman's headshot and there was a high heel shoe in with it and a note that said, Now that I got my foot in the door, dot dot dot. <laughs> he thought this was so clever. He called her and he gave her like a speaking something or other. You know what I mean? He uh -huh. just he called her that week and said, and she was laughing. And he said, where are you getting all the shoes? And she was laughing. And she said, I just go around. I get a, you know, um, you know, yard sales and I go to thrift shops and I just buy up shoes and I've been doing it. And she's like, and it works. And he's like, it's so clever. So I leave you with that. So it's never too old. You can, that, that, that one is, <laughs> that's a good one too. Go for that one. We close these shows with three questions. You know all the answers. Don't panic. First question is super simple. Where do people find you? How do people follow you? Go. Plug away. Okay. Well, um, I'm on Instagram at Marianalda underscore aging shamelessly. And I have just started a campaign on Instagram. Say your age. Because I think that's really important. We have to, I think, one of the things that we do, uh, we do as disservice to ourselves when we get coy about, oh, a woman of a certain age, or we don't tell our age as if it's something to be ashamed of. And then we internalize that shame. So I'm about getting loud and proud and saying your age. And that is at say your age underscore loud and proud on Instagram. And if anyone, please, please, please send me a picture with your name and I will either you can put your age on it or I will add it. I'll do my little thing on um, word swag and I can add the, the, that extra little graphic, but I'm, 
I want women to come out of the closet. I want them to be loud and proud and say their age. So please, please come join me on Instagram. Come join the campaign. Be part of the revolution. The last two questions are yours to answer. You can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. Question number one is who inspires you? Wow. Wow. Who inspires me? Wow. I, I'm in. Well, Maya Angelou inspires me. My, my son in, and daughter-in-law inspire me just because of the, the way they have raised their kids. I mean, they're really, they're really good people. You know, they're nice people. Even if I wasn't related to them, I would want to know them. And I just look at them and, um, you know, they're very involved in church and, and they just make me want to be better. So I would say, yeah, Maya Angelou and my son and his family, my son, oh, I should, oh, my son, Christopher and my daughter-in-law, Nikki, I need to give them billing and my, my, my grandchildren, Sydney and Bryce. Okay. <laughs> And the final question is not even a question. It's a statement to finish. And you know how the song goes. Don't sing it because I can't clear it. Just finish the statement. Tell me something good. That was it. That was a sigh. I was breathing. Tell me something good. That's it, Steve. Okay. That's what I'm going to go with. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Some, tell me something good. <sighs> because if you're able to take a breath, that means you're still here. And that's good. Thank you, Marianne, for sharing your good. Okay, who's ready to embrace their age? It's just a number. And you are right where you are meant to be. Don't forget that. Next time on World Gone Good. I think art, creativity, I think it makes life good. I mean, I think it makes it worth living. And so I like to celebrate people that are doing interesting things, filmmakers, writers, actors. It's brought so much joy to my life. And I, it's never felt like, um, ugh, I got to do that again, you know? Dennis Hensley loves the 1970s, especially 70s game shows. That love turned into the Mismatch Game, a live game show that started out as a lark for his birthday and has blossomed into raising over $200,000 for the Gay and Lesbian Center of Los Angeles all through live performances. We're going to talk the good of following the fun, helping others, finding the perfect game show host tuxedo, and much more good. I can't wait for you to hear this great conversation with a good friend of mine. Until then, be good.